0: Audio Podcast Network, part of the Boundless Audio Podcast Network.
1: Oh, the weather outside is frightful, but this wine is quite delightful. Since Emily made the drive, let us whine, let us whine, let us whine. Welcome to whining about history, the Women's History Podcast, where two longtime BFFs talk about women from history that you probably haven't heard of, but definitely should have. I'm Kelly. Oh
0: my god, I love that. That was so good. Thanks. I'm Emily, and I am just in awe of my co-host and BFF, best fuck friend forever.
1: Yep, accurate.
0: Yeah, that would be BFFF. BF cubed?
1: Yeah. BF, BF cubed. No, BF BF triplicated.
0: Yeah, that three it's cubed. Oh, cubed
1: is three. Duh.
0: Oh my God. Okay. Okay. I just want to say I had a I don't weird- know, when
1: I think of cubed though, I think of four sides. Yep. I like, yeah. Okay.
0: No, I ha- I had a moment uh when I was doing bar trivia where I was like try I was doing math to like figure out an answer. And so I was like, no, 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 you're doing it wrong. I'm like, okay. Here's the thing. You're probably right, but I'm pretty sure like I'm and I turned out my math turned out to be right. I'm like, oh, my God, this has never happened to me before. And now I've had a second one of those moments. Am I getting smarter? You are. Is it finally happening? It's happening. My second grade teacher is going to be so proud. That's funny. It's like, Emily, you sweet little dummy, you're
1: finally doing it. You're doing basic math. I knew you could. It only took you 30 fucking years. Whoever decided a cube was for three, why? Because in geometry, a cube has four sides. Like, that's just very confusing Oh, to me. that's
0: because mathematicians are the devil. Yeah. Which is why true. anyone who is good at math has sold their soul to Satan. And hey, man, good for you. I would have done it for a lot less. <laughs> so I respect your choices, but I'm just saying I know. I know how you got good at math. All right. (laughs) No, that was a really good song parody. Actually, that's what I sold my soul to the devil (laughs) for. Song parodies? Being able to do half-ass song parodies on a podcast. It's valid. You know what? Uh, I use it a lot more than math. Just going to say. All you kids out there who are like, when am I ever going to use math? You're not. Work on your song parodies. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you for joining us for another episode of Whining About Herstory. If this is your first one, I am terribly sorry if this isn't your first one. Nah, I mean, this is a choice you're making. And welcome along to the ride.
1: <laughs> yeah, basically.
0: It's a crazy, crazy ride that goes up, down, all around. In, out, all about.
1: Woo. I was trying
0: to, I was waiting for something sexy to come to me. And I just, I couldn't. Without getting, like, really explicit, I'm like, no, can't make it sexy. Well, uh, it is the holiday season, and Kelly and I are feeling it, especially after getting a, I think the uh, technical term is a fuck ton of snow. I think that's
1: the correct measurement. It started snowing, like, last night, and I'm pretty sure it's still lightly snowing.
0: My fucking cat. I love him so much, but he is the devil. He's the one that you all sold your souls to to be good at math. He woke me up at the butt crack of dawn because he was just at the window above my head and he was like batting at it and pouncing at the glass. I was like, what the fuck is he doing? I didn't realize until later he was trying to catch the snowflakes that were falling outside. I'm like, that would be really adorable if I didn't have to get up for work (laughs) and I'm tired and you're waking me up and now I'm crabby. But it's fine. It's fine. I shoveled my driveway and my sidewalk, and so I have done my adulting for the day, so now I can drink wine, hot apple cider, and chat about women. So, Kelly, what are we drinking today?
1: Um, We are drinking Silverscape, Ooh. a 2018 Syrah. That's like what um, it looks like
0: outside right now. It's a silverscape of wintry hell.
1: That once again has nothing but the Surgeon General's warning about drinking alcohol. Women should not drink while pregnant. (sighs) Um, so I looked it up again cause I like to look, I like to have some description of our wine. Yep. It says this nicely aged Syrah shows complex elements of spice, oak, and leather along with notes of black cherry, blackberry, and fig medium bodied with grippy tannins and balanced ass. Sometimes like, especially when they talk about like a wine tasting like leather. Yeah. It's really hard not to laugh. And I was doing fine until I read. With Gork. hints of shoe polish
0: and oak wood barrels. I.
1: I was doing fine until grippy tannins and then I just see Emily start it's a laughing figgy, grippy wine. <laughs> oh my God, what does
0: grippy tannins mean? It it means that it coats your entire mouth and your throat all the way down. Oh. Maybe that sounds it like grips it grips to your esophagus. Like a bunch of desperate mountain climbers trying to carve their way out of a cavern that there's no escape from. And then they fall into the acid bath of your stomach.
1: That sounds accurate.
0: I should write wine descriptions, but make them like really disgusting and gory.
1: Yeah. The so tannins of this wine
0: will grip your cheeks like survivors in a grand ocean of saliva.
1: So I have a plastic <laughs> glass, but you have a glass glass. So oh. I'll just I'll cheers with the bottle.
0: Cool. All right, where are we cheersing to? I
1: don't know.
0: Hope that's not copywritten. Winter. You know what. I'll- the snow was actually really pretty yeah. today. Hated driving in it. Hated Snowing's shoveling bullshit, it.
1: But it's pretty. But it was very
0: pretty, and it's actually pretty warm out today. So, cheers. It's <laughs> a okay. crashing of I the glass like, glass like the crashing of winter against my soul. Oh, yeah. There are those grippy tannins, I tell you what. <laughs> Oh, man, I'm like salivating. They really are coating the inside of my mouth. I may it's have nice worked though. myself up a little. <laughs> no, this is good. It's also like the smell actually is very summery. It's like, um, like the thick heat of a summer night on the bayou where the humidity coats your skin in a light glisten. But it tastes, yeah, no, it tastes very grippy. Figgy grippy wine. Love it. Uh yeah. No. Silverscape. Good. Would five out of five would recommend. The bottle also looks really cool because it's like a a cutout of a mountain range with a I don't know if that's the sun or like a harvest moon rising behind the mountains. Yeah, I couldn't tell either. Um, but it looks real spooky and pretty and I dig it.
1: Yeah, okay, my my friend sent me a photo today of a of a like sign in their local wine shop, and it's it's a wine that has like out had Starry Night as like the label. Oh yeah, and in in print, and he circled it so I saw it. It <clears throat> said, "Life is too short to drink ugly wines," and I'm like. Yeah, that's totally true. I'm that like, is almost I'm exclusively like, you, how we pick know, our I'm wines. Like, are you sending this to me? Because you know, because I, me and Emily pick wines almost exclusively by their labels yep. and their price range.
0: And not even in like a, a bougie way. No, like, at all. oh, this label is so decadent. It's like, this label is so pretty. Really or this Ooh, label prettier. has a Ooh. nude lady on it. Exactly. Or this label's fun. <laughs> Yeah. No. You know what? I know what I like and I know what I like to look at. And if I like looking at it, I'm going to like putting it down my gullet.
1: Yep. So, Kelly. Yep. You're going first. Shit.
0: All right. I was
1: like, you were about to ask me who I'm lying about. No, I was I was going to ask you who
0: went first um, because I was kind of hoping you'd forget and just do it.
1: I thought about it, but then I'm like, no, wait, we had this conversation. Well, lucky
0: for you, I just happen to have a story. Let me just pull it out here. Oh, look, I'm so lucky. Crinkle, crinkle, crinkle. crinkle, crinkle. (laughs) Oh, that's a good cell phone smell. Don't you love the smell of an old phone when you crack it open? (laughs) That musky.
1: (laughs) Hand smell. Paper mite
0: smell. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, because... I think by the time this episode comes out, we will be in Hanukkah or just starting Hanukkah. But I decided to do a Hanukkah-related story. So I am whining about Judith, the Hanukkah heroine, with a big old asterisk next to this because her story actually has nothing to do with the Hanukkah miracle.
1: (laughs) But yeah, Hanukkah starts the 18th, so the day before this episode releases. Oh,
0: happy second day of Hanukkah on the second day of Hanukkah. My rabbi gave to me. Oh,
1: God. <laughs> stop. Just just stop before you offend more people.
0: <laughs> I'm trying to think of something from my Jewish student organization Oh, God damn. Yeah. Just stop, Emily. A dreidel made with great glee. Two dreidels. Two, Two d- d- no, it doesn't have to be. Sure. Don't you, don't you hanukkah explain me?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know either, so.
0: All right, well. So, what is a widow to do when an enemy army invades her town? I think. There are many answers to this question, and we have talked about many of them. Uh, but this is Judas' answer. In the second century BCE, or before Christ ever... The Israeli town of Bethulia was attacked by the Assyrian army led by General Holofernes. I may have I, I've talked about him before, may have pronounced it differently. I'm gonna call him holoferns. Because he's a hologram of ferns, where it's like, oh my god, I thought those ferns were real, but they were a hologram. So holoferns was the top general of the Assyrian emperor, Nebuchadnezzar, which if I had never heard that name before, I would have looked at this and been like, what the actual fuck? Because <laughs> it's the, the spelling. I'm like, I don't even know how to begin to sound this out. My second grade teacher is so disappointed in me. So Nebuchadnezzar, looking to expand his territory, knew that taking Bethulia was critical to his plans. Bethulia f- if Bethulia fell, the rest of the region would follow. That seems very convenient. Um, maybe strategically not a great idea to put the entire defense of your country into one town, you know, but you know what, it's sometimes that's just how the, the cookie crumbles. That's just kind of how it goes. So, uh, Bethulia was experiencing a famine, uh, leaving the townspeople vulnerable, both physically and mentally because famines, not only are they tough on your body, but they're tough on your mental state. And if you're struggling with your mental state, get better help. And get ten percent off your first month of BetterHelp at BetterHelp.com/slash-Herstory. Go <laughs> and remember our code for a second. Okay, you got there eventually. Um, I'm proud of you. I'm I'm also very proud of me. Shameless butt plug. <clears throat> uh, so like, so this is a very important town for this military operation and everyone yeah. is already like fucking done. They're already incredibly vulnerable and it's it's like it's just going to be like taking candy from a baby. With the experienced and ruthless General Holofernes leading his army into a hungry, morally devastated community, success seemed all but certain. The Israelites were overwhelmed by the Assyrian forces and initially the town elders prepared to surrender. However, from the crowd, one woman stepped forward and said, I volunteer as tribute. I'm getting my stories mixed up. It was Judith. Judith Everdeen, my friends. (laughs) Uh, Yes. Okay. no, actually, Judith has no last name. She's like Cher or um, Madonna. She's she's a mononym. Judith. Yeah, she doesn't need a last name. She's just Judith. Yeah. And that's the. Oh, she needs. And that is the title of her spinoff. It's just Judith, Judith, Judith. Who's that? It's just, just Judith. Judith. <laughs> what I want, okay, I was so tired at the beginning of this. I'm like, crap, I'm going to be so low energy. And I finally hit the point where I'm like, I'm so tired that, like, it's not even alcohol. I'm just kind of like, where am I right now? I'm so sleepy. All right, let's, let's move on with this. So, Judith was a young widow who refused to surrender without a fight. If others would not stand to resist the Assyrians, she would do it herself. But how does a single person take on an entire army? I know you are asking. With a very old and incredibly satisfying strategy. Judith recruited her maid, and the two traveled to the enemy camp. The Assyrians, sure that Bethulia would roll over, had lowered their guard. Of course. Yeah, no, they're like, this is, like, we don't even have to think about this. Judith asked to meet with General Holofernes himself. Now, perhaps Judith was a striking beauty, and perhaps it'd been a while since Holofernes had seen a woman. But whatever the reason, <sighs> Judith worked what God gave her, and Holofernes practically went full Looney Tunes with his eyes popping out and whistling. Like right there. He's like, oh my God, I am so horny right now.
1: Er- what? Nothing. I, like, I started saying it, said it incorrectly, and then forgot what I was going to say. I think I was going to say exactly. <laughs> Are you also very tired today?
0: Yes. It's okay. We can be tired together. We'll take a nap after this. Sounds good. So taken by her beauty, Holofernes invited Juth and her maid to join in a banquet the army was having, apparently to celebrate their assumed victory in Bethulia. Don't put the cart before the horse, my right, friend. Exactly. Don't count your
1: chickens before they hatch. There's a lot of... Don't like a gift horse in the mouth. That is another N- one.
0: No, not for this. It no. wouldn't be relevant for this.
1: I thought we were just saying <laughs> No,
0: the, all of mine made sense. <laughs> I'm just saying there are a lot of colloquialisms for not doing this exact thing that they are doing. The Assyrian army feasted and got drunk on wine and confidence. I can relate to half of that statement. Judith plied holoferns with wine and cheese until he was so drunk that when he ventured back to his tent with Judith, Judith, excuse me, he passed the fuck out. Judith, who had kept her wits about her, knew it was time to complete her dreadful plan. After praying to God for strength, Judith took Holofernes' own sword and decapitated him. Fuck what? Yeah. What? Bah, 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 bah. <laughs> like drop? Sword drop? Oh God! The Assyrian army, drunk and horrified by the brutal murder of their commander, was thrown into disarray. They were like the fuck and like they just said that for 20 minutes straight Judith and her maid rushed back to Bethulia and urged the Israelites to take this chance and to fight back she inspired the despairing town and they launched a surprise attack on the Assyrian army successfully defeating them and nowhere did it say this but I'm imagining she went there holding his head and was like will you fight with me and they're like she has some dude's head Yeah, we will fucking fight with you. Right? (laughs) Yeah, there's no other way to answer that question. You always listen to the person holding the severed head. Always. It's basic politics. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Really severed anything.
0: This is true. Heads are very dramatic, but, you know, you can get away with a lot of severed bits and still make your point. For her bravery and faith, Judith was immortalized through retellings and became intertwined with the Hanukkah miracle and Hanukkah story. Though the story of Judith takes place centuries before the Hanukkah miracle. So these are not happening like simultaneously or anywhere close to each other. Exactly. Okay. This is because Judith's showing of faith and resilience in the face of unbelievable odds is thematically similar to the Hanukkah story. In some tellings, Judith is said to be related to Judah Judah Maccabee, who is the hero of the Hanukkah miracle story. (laughs) And Judith also parallels another Jewish hero, Esther, who saves the Jewish people from death in Persia and is the hero of the spring holiday Purim, which I remember celebrating. It was like an Earth Day Purim thing, and it was a lot of fun. Despite Judith being a Jewish hero whose story was passed down orally by rabbis, her story didn't make it into the Tan- uh, Tanakh or the Jewish scriptures that include the Torah. Mm-hmm. Her story did persist in another holy book, though the Bible. Ever
1: heard of it? I mean, I have, I don't remember the story. Uh,
0: my friend was telling me about it, but I haven't read it. <laughs> <laughs> The book of Judith in the Old Testament tells of Judas' decapitation occasion. She was further immortalizing countless works of art, including in that of fellow fellow Herstory hero, artist Artemisia Gentileschi from way back in episode four. That was a million years ago. And that's why when I read Holofernes' name, I was like, why does this sound familiar? I Google Image and I was like, oh
1: shit, I know this one. Yeah, like I'm like, like you're talking and I'm like, are we sure we haven't covered this woman? But it must just I be think from a museum. I think
0: I talked about the story of Judith because the painting is so metal. And the reason I made sure to include her maid in the story is because in a lot of depictions of this event, it's two women who are decapitating Holofernes. it's because the maid was like helping to hold them down. While I also she like think slices
1: I in my head I'm I'm getting a little bit confused with the woman who like threw the guy down the well
0: yes yes um Timoclea of Thebes
1: yeah. like I said there are a lot of answers to this very specific
0: question and we have covered a lot of those answers but this is Judith I love Judith this is her personal answer Though she has become closely related with Christianity, Judith hasn't been forgotten by the Jewish people. Orthodox Jews in Rome often eat cheese as part of their Hanukkah meals in honor of Judith plying holoferns with wine and cheese. There are also menorahs that depict Judith holding the head of holoferns as the centerpiece. There, there's this amazing picture, and it's just like, it's it's this beautiful ornate menorah, and it looks like it's got, like, branches and leaves coming on it. And in the center, the center... um, pillar is a woman holding a head it's like oh my god i'm like awesome can i just say like obviously judith is closely associated with christianity being featured in the old testament and like you can't get more closely related than to hanukkah though than being featured on like a fucking menorah like that and that i think that's so cool though too because it's the idea of persistence overcoming having faith believing that you can do something even if all the odds are telling you you can't yeah and that is so integral to Judas' story to the hanukkah story and to the jewish people and their history of just overcoming and enduring and you know i i thought that was really cool
1: i think it's cool too
0: Regardless of what religion is celebrating, Judith's clever and successful weaponization of wine and cheese. She joins the halls of badass women who took on armies and won, and that's in dramatic
1: the, fashion. And
0: that is the story of Judith, the Hanukkah hero. And one of the reasons I, I found her because I specifically wanted to cover a woman associated with Hanukkah. Because last year I did the anti-slavery Christmas bazaar, and I'm like, what other like fun herstory? You know stories can I find surrounding these winter holidays?
1: That's what I tried looking up to, Yeah, and your the bizarre came. I did.
0: I did try to find another Christmas related story, and that was all I could find. Um, so I kind of abandoned that pretty quick.
1: I found a winter related story, but that's next week.
0: Same, no, hundred percent same. Next week is very wintry. But what I thought was interesting is there was an article where they interviewed uh this, she's like a Jewish food historian. And she had never heard of the story of Judith. And she's like, how why are we not talking about this? And there there are a lot of reasons, um, particularly in the United States, the way that Christianity became so prevalent and uh like with Christmas and even just the commercialization of winter holidays in general, oh, yeah. uh, Judith's story didn't and like her not being included in the written scripture, you know, it's there's a lot of factors going on there, but I think it's cool that she's kind of making this comeback as a Jewish heroine because, one, she was Jewish. I don't care if she, like, you could be, like, most of the people in the Bible are Jewish, but also just how thematically important her story is. Yeah, I agree. I Yeah, I, I thought it was fun. Also, I love a good, like, woman being like, I'ma fuck you up. (laughs) Oh, you're coming into my town? You're coming into my town. Oh, hell no. Bitch, I'ma cut you. Hey guys, we know times have been tough lately for all of us. And during hard times, it can be difficult if you don't have anyone to talk to, or it can be hard
1: to talk about certain topics. Being alone with your thoughts can be isolating. This is why we are sponsored by BetterHelp. BetterHelp offers licensed therapists who are trained to listen to and help you. Talk to your therapist in a private online environment at your convenience.
0: BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to, thank goodness.
1: There's a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's 20,000 plus therapist network that gives you access to the help that may not be available in your area.
0: You just fill out a questionnaire to help assess your specific needs, and then you get matched with a therapist in under 48 hours, that is Amazon fast. Then you schedule secure video and phone sessions, plus you can exchange unlimited messages, and everything
1: you share is completely confidential, just like with an in-person therapist. You can request a new therapist at any time at no additional charges. If you want to talk to someone about your mental health, you can get a 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash Herstory. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash Herstory. So,
0: Kelly, who are you whining about? And does your bitch cut anyone? No. Okay, well, that might be a not little overkill.
1: Not- Da, 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 Physically, da, da. Maybe, like with the words. Ooh, I love it.
0: The pen is mightier than the sword unless you're Sometimes. trying to decapitate yeah. someone.
1: All right. I am covering Virginia Leone Bukido. Yep. That's I'm going to call her Boo. Boo. What's up, Boo? Uh, so, Virginia was born in the city of Sao Paulo on November 21st, 1910. So she popped up on Google. This is how I found her, which made oh, me cool. very sad because she has stuff to do with psychology. And I'm like, how did I not know about this person? So that anyways. okay,
0: welcome to the podcast. How did we not I know, know about this it's person? Like our
1: shtick or something. Yeah. Um, anyways, she was the daughter of Giovanna Leone, who was a poor Italian immigrant from uh the Sicily region, and Teofila Julio Bocudo. Who was the descendant of a slave, um, and godson to the senator of the Republican Polista Party? In Those feel like very different, very stations different in life. I know. I'm like that. Sounds like a maybe non-consensual yeah. thing. So picture it. 1910, not Sicily, <laughs> right? So her. Father Teofila studied at the traditional state gymnasium, which their schools are called gymnasiums. Yes. Which is yes, the thing, they are. Um, and tried to enroll in the medical course, but was being was prevented from doing so because he was black. Remember, he was a slave, so oh, or descendant from slaves.
0: Okay, well, he I, is I, I was a, just kind of thinking a
1: free man, general, Like I wasn't he, thinking he was descended from slaves. So I he, wasn't even
0: thinking of the enslavement of. African people I was just I was like oh yeah yeah." like just everyone was a slave but (laughs) I forgot this is 1910
1: yep so even in Brazil they're denying people schooling for skin color
0: super fun it's happened all over the world yeah no racism uh it's one of those things that we just all have
1: in common right but due to the influence of his um godfather he was able to become a post and telegraph employee and work and work Um, so the couple would actually go on to have six children and would decide to invest in their education because obviously like for her dad, that was very important. And he's like, well, maybe with this next generation, like my kids will be able to go further than I could.
0: You know, that's what every parent hopes for, especially, you know, when you have to, have to overcome hardship. It's like, I'm doing this. So my kids might have it a little easier than I did. And then their kids might have it a little easier than they did. And you just, it's that incremental
1: progression, right? So Virginia actually really liked to study, too, and he, she followed her parents' advice to work very hard to, quote, avoid being hurt and defeated by the expectation of rejection due to skin color. Damn. End quote. So, like, they're teaching her, like, hey, there is inherent racism in our system, but if you work really hard, you can overcome it, maybe.
0: Yeah. I, I like that because it's it's being real. Like, hey, this is something that you're going to encounter. It right. sucks. It's bullshit, but it's there. But do not let it define you or limit you.
1: So she actually said in an interview, she said, my father's view was that a person's value is derived from their education, their preparation, their studies. That was my father. So he put us all through school.
0: That's very, I love that. And that he's uh, doing the equal
1: education for all of his children, regardless of gender. Right. So Virginia would study at. Uh, primary school and then would complete secondary school at the traditional normal school legit it was called a sweat like a escuela normal and I'm like and so like I make I double like triple checked I'm like wait is it really called the normal school yeah that's just the title of it actually
0: where we went to college used to be called a normal school because a normal school is where they teach teachers to teach
1: So she went to the normal school, or a traditional normal school, yep. in 1930, and by 1932, she joined the Sanitary Educators course at the Institute of Hygiene in Sao Paulo. Her trajectory um, indicates the gradual insertion of women from lower classes into the professional field of teachers, nurses, and health educators in the midst of this pro- the process of urbanization and industrialization in Sao Paulo. Okay. So she's kind of like that... First generation, lower middle class that's starting to be able to enter these women work fields. Yeah. Um, So by 1936, Virginia was the only woman to register for the political and social sciences track at the Free School of Sociology and Politics um, because she wanted to expand her sociological vision initially developed in the field of health education um, and this close relationship between health child hygiene and socioeconomic conditions that she had been witnessing and wanted to like know more about. I, I
0: love that she's studying this, but I feel like this is one of those things that keep coming up in our stories where people are actually having to study and prove Mm -hmm. that, yeah, growing children, growing up in shitty conditions is a bad thing. And here's why, like this isn't something inherent. And we still argue about this crap.
1: Well, and this is what she said about choosing that field. She said, quote, I chose the school of sociology because I was suffering. I had pain and I wanted to know what was causing me so much suffering. And I understood that there were external conditions. So I thought that sociology would bring clarity to the causes of my suffering. Well, when
0: you grow up and that's all you know, how can you perfectly identify what the factors are? Because
1: you're like, no, this is just life. This is just the environment. So during the program, Virginia discovered new ideas that would take her career on a whole new course. And in an interview, she said, for the first time in my life, I heard about Freud. I have a lot of judgments about that. <laughs> about sublimation and internal factors. So I said, well, it's not sociology that I need to study. What I need to study is psychoanalysis and Freud. We, I mean, we can't have a psych lady without talking about Freud. No, not really. We, yeah, you we just- talk about uh, another woman, though uh, that I believe I've already covered. Awesome. Um, I'm going to double check that I have covered her. Cause otherwise I got to add her to my list. Nope. I haven't covered her anyways. Um, so stay t- tuned. Stay tuned. <laughs> yes. Although she's a bigger name. So I'm maybe not. Anyways, two years later, she would graduate with a bachelor of arts in social and political sciences, being the only woman to graduate in a class of only eight students. But still, that's pretty impressive. Yeah. Um, During this period, she, whoa, my notes just skipped. Oh, (laughs) it was like, oh, whoa,
0: what'd she do? (laughs) I'm like, crap. There is no actual way to describe this period in her life except for, whoa, whoa. no, okay. <laughs> <Damn>. so, um, <laughs>
1: so during this period, she approached um, psychoanalysis through a physician named Derval Marcondes, who was the founder of the school mental hygiene services, um, and her interest in psycho- psychoanalysis would lead her to become the first woman to see an analyst, a uh, psychoanalyst in Latin America. So she's not one, she went to see one. Okay, this is in 1937. So what's interesting is if you think about it, she's a black woman seeking to understand the pain caused by racism, and the psychoanalyst she goes to is Dr. Adelheid Koch, who is a German Jewish woman who was invited to come to Brazil to flee Nazism. Oh God damn. So, but, like, how, like, cool of a connection oh, and no, stuff. Oh, no, 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 Like, this is obviously
0: someone who can relate. Yeah. But I hate that they're relating over shitty things instead of being like. The Nazis. Oh, my God. You like Alice in Wonderland, too? I right. do. Nazis just
1: snuck their way in. It's this like story. Nazis and
0: racism. They suck, um, don't they?
1: But yeah, I do think it's cool that they gave uh, Dr. cot Koch, like this position, um, at this newfound school because they had just created the Brazilian Society of Psychoanalysis, um, and then so like they were like, come here, we'll have a position for you, like, and I think that's really cool. Is her is her last name K O C H? Yep, I think it's Koch. Koch, yeah. Okay, thanks. I did not look up that pronunciation because she was not the like topic of my I story. I know, but I, I but I, I appreciate that. encountered Koch. that
0: last name before. As I was gonna um, say there's a Koch listening who's like, ah.
1: I apologize.
0: They're having a rage Coast. stroke right now.
1: Anyways, to continue her study, Virginia enrolled in the first class of social science postgraduates in Brazil. Under the guidance of Donald Pearson in 1945, she became the first person to defend a, a thesis about the race relations in Brazil. So we're going to go on a little, it's not even a tangent. We're going to talk about her thesis. Okay. So this dissertation was entitled "The Study of Racial Attitudes of Blacks and Mulattoes in Sao Paulo." This was a three-year period that took her. T- it took her to write this thesis. It involved interviewing thirty people, eleven of which she found through the Child Guidance Clinic of School Hygiene um, that she helped coordinate. So, in the reports from parents of public school students in popular and middle-class neighborhoods who, who attended the institution. She also interviewed militants from the Frente Negra Brasile, which was a political organization, which was made illegal by the Estado Novo government, which was like the newer government. Um, and so she like researched all these things and pulled them together and she states that when carrying out these interviews with the various people she was she made sure to pay attention to the interaction between the interviewer and the interviewee because it was it was important to both control the bias in conducting the interview and the data analysis and to establish like a rapport and have a positive transference in her words basically she wanted to make sure that there was a relationship of trust and of valuing and that the interviewee could communicate his racial attitudes even those that would be quote, intimately hidden by social reproaches, fears, or other reasons. So, you know, like, she's like, I want people to feel comfortable so they'll actually, like, tell me their opinions. Right. So it's evident that in these interviews carried out by Virginia, the confidence, intensity, empathy, and the researcher's ability, like, her interviewing ability was able to, like, bring out all of these different things um, in people. And she was she was able to put them at ease. She also reveals that based on her interviews, um, She she feels like that some people were maybe maybe more put at ease because she was a a black woman and some people, depending on who she was interviewing, some people weren't. Yeah. You know, so in her study, color and class were the variables used to define the, the different groups. And among her main findings, she identified attitudes of greater rejection among blacks with lower purchasing power when interact when interacting with others of the same race.
0: Wait, explain that to me like I'm five years old.
1: Um so the lower the income mm-hmm. of a black family, the more likely they were to get to get to get rejected by even other black and mulatto families that were of higher social standing.
0: Oh, I see. So the even the the financial and economic situation even divides among people of the exactly. the same ethnic background. Okay.
1: Um, so then for the, um, middle class of her study, she observed that despite their professional advancement and achievement of higher education diplomas, they continued to suffer from the barriers and constraints of the white social environment, thus provoking color awareness and disbelief in a possible solidarity between whites and blacks that, you know, everyone preaches.
0: Well, it's, I, I think that's actually really interesting to point out because there's this whole idea of like why are you got to make everything about race? It's like, because it kind of is like the whole system has been set up around these racial divisions and you don't see it. Like as a white person, we, as white people, we don't see them because they don't really affect us or at least they don't affect us negatively. We never have to experience those barriers. You know what I mean? Right. Um. And, and like, how do you work your way
1: out of it when it's like, no, the, the game is rigged against you, right? So I know when I talked about like the title of her paper, I said mulattoes, and I know that's an offensive term. So from um, and I literally made this note in here um because obviously that was the terminology they used back then. So I'm gonna say mixed race, and it means mixed race. Okay, so that was because that we was talk a quote about from that. her paper. Yeah, like okay. it was, that was literally in the title. Okay. Um, so the group composed of the mixed race people from diff- various classes revealed even more con- pronounced color awareness than um, anyone else of the same social stratum as they manifested attitudes of trying to avoid conflicts uh, with both the white people, but be- while being fearful of c- being considered black. Like, so they had to, like, manage this, like... White people still didn't like them, but they also didn't want to be classified as black due to the barriers and like, yeah, so no, they were having um, a lot of problems.
0: All of this stuff is still incredibly relevant today,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and she she's talking about it. This is back in the what mid nineteen hundreds,
1: uh, yeah, the thirties, nope, forties, forties. Oh, okay, I was about to say that's almost a hundred years ago, and I um, feel old. So for middle-class mixed-race people that she talked to, um, they showed a feeling of inferiority and longing to be recognized as whites because they realized that there was the color barrier for social ascension. And they were like, I'm stuck here. Yeah. So her analysis of the racial attitudes toward blacks and mixed-race people reveals the importance of the color variable in the production of social inequalities in an intellectual context. So basically, like, in order to understand all the problems affecting a society, you need to realize that there is a barrier for people. Racism and is race real. race is a barrier. Systemic yeah.
0: Systemic racism is real. And sticking your head in the sand about it isn't going to fix anything.
1: Right. So she talked about how, well, one, this study that she did was, like, a pioneering study in um how, like, the mobilization between the middle, like, the different stratas and the adverse conditions experienced by people of color and this color barrier. And so she talks about how through education, work, professional development, and political action, you know, people should be able to be recognized in their own rights by the dominant group. Like, it's... Yeah, that's what she talks about. And so she concluded that the... This sounds terrible, and this is from her paper. So this is a quote. She concluded that the more... The more a black person ascends socially and economically, the greater the possibility of racial and awareness and racial tensions. It's not as bad as I thought it was.
0: I so I kind of understand that because it's true. The point with the systemic racism was to keep people who were not white subservient. Yeah,
1: and so the higher even, they rose, the more likely you were to encounter those barriers. Exactly
0: because you were stepping out of place you were you know treading into territory that you were never meant to go to and therefore there you're you're it's it's like almost by your existence of being there you're stirring the pot you're upsetting this dynamic that has been crafted to keep you in subservience right and there's no way you can't feel that right
1: so Virginia's view differed from her advisor regarding the prevalence of class prejudice. And, you know, she argued a lot that people of different races, um, they, have, they go through a lot of efforts to try to conquer new social statuses through investments in education and personal training. But that does not lead to the elimination of the persecution they go through and of the, quote, social distinctions in the color line due to the persistence of racial prejudice and color. So her focus, because remember, this is all about the whole point. She's doing psychoanalysis. So that's like the the basis for her paper. And then her focus centered on the defense mechanisms that underlie the psychosocial adjustments of these people of color that they develop because of these racial barriers. Yeah. 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 So that's, that was her paper. And she was like, like I said, she was the first one to argue a thesis about a color barrier in Brazil.
0: This is fucking fascinating.
1: Yeah. Yep. The interesting thing or what I found interesting. So the same, the same years that she's working on her thesis, she was actually hired as a professor at the school of hygiene and public health, which I think is really cool. She would also go on to meet the, the psychologist, Otto Kleinberg, who was from Columbia university, who, um, was visiting Brazil to bring like the North American experience of social psychology to this school in Brazil, like Mm -hmm. to kind of like teach the difference and to create the department of, of USP psychology. So that's just what it was called. Okay. Um, So she would attend the social psychology seminar offered by Otto. um, And she would then be in, in, Invited to participate in a book called Modern Psychology that was, like, an organization of a, a Canadian psychologist, Otto, and a bunch of other, like, psych- psychologists writing this book together. And she was one of them, which I think was really cool.
0: Yeah. No, it's nice that she's being included as a as a peer.
1: Right. So then in the 1940s, she would venture into the world of work and pre- start participating in, like, research. Um, and this time she really focused on on the relationship between industrial masters or bosses and their subordinates and the psychosocial relationship between them. And she concentrated on, like, two factories in the Sao Paulo area. And she was able to show um, clinically that poor working conditions cause damage to physical and mental health. Shocking. This is a get... But here's the thing.
0: First of all, this is groundbreaking for the, t- for
1: the time. Exactly.
0: But also... We are still trying to convince people that is a right. thing.
1: Right. So she saw fatigue, irritation, and discontent. Also, feelings such as aggression, anxiety, and hostility. Um, she was able to kind of find, like, that they had their origin and childhood frustrations associated with po- poverty, aggression, and alcoholism in the home. Which I'm like, ooh, interesting. Um What I think was cool is after that, Virginia was invited to join a UNESCO project, which UNESCO, I think, is, like, a combination of, like, a bunch of different nations.
0: Yeah, like, there's the UNESCO heritage sites, but they do a bunch of other things. Actually, that mine that I talked about in a previous episode, that was the, it was supposed to be, I think it is a UNESCO heritage site, but UNESCO's like, hey, you have to acknowledge that this place was super fucked up, and Japan's like,
1: okay, we'll totally do it this was a UNESCO project focused on racial relations. So Otto Kleinberg, the guy that was from the university of Columbia that had visited Brazil actually was like, Hey, you're like, you've talked about this and in context of your country, like you should be part of this. She, Mm -hmm. he, she was invited to do it. And so this, this particular project was focused on defining an anti-racist agenda under the impact of Nazism and to show the persistence of race, race, racism, particularly in Africa and Asia, as the decolonization project happened. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff going in the on in the world in the, at this time.
0: I mean, this is this work is so at this point. relevant,
1: though, right? And
0: they have a lot of real life examples to study on how this affects people and so, recent examples, right?
1: So in this UNESCO project, Virginia would expand on the argument that her original dissertation kind of did. And I don't want to bore you guys. So I kind of cut this down. Um, This study this time was called the attitudes of students from school groups in relation to the color of their colleagues. So she studied particularly how primary school students from public schools in the city of Sao Paulo, like felt about their different classmates and really highlighted the role of, like, family on the development of these attitudes. Because kids bring to school what they learn at home. Yes. Um, so the interviews she conducted was people of middle class, composed majority of whites, and then a minority of blacks, mixed race, and Japanese, actually. And so she, the study focused on attitudes of rejection or intimacy among students and, and then associated them with, like, color. Mm -hmm. So for attitudes of rejection, the racial criterion appeared clearly in a reduced number that explicitly mentioned negative attributes in relation to their black classmates, such as a bad student and bad character. The majority of white students manifested... themselves in in a way saying quote they're good and bad between whites and blacks white people make different or what makes people different is education and instruction. so that's what the white people are saying because of course they're gonna say stuff that makes tribes like their parents are probably like oh no there's no there's no race barrier there's like, bad
0: people on both
1: exactly. sides <laughs> where have we heard this before um and so she said virginia said like that the the reason that these stereotypes exist is because White people felt the need to justify oneself and re- relieve oneself of feeling of guilt, which accompany the hostile feelings linked to discrimination.
0: Honestly, I think that is probably one of the most fascinating parts about the j- j- just the denial of racism and oh, systemic yeah. racism is that the fervent need to deny it exists, to claim colorblindness, all of these things is because we are aware it exists and because we are uncomfortable with that. So we are in denial. Like we're, we're very aware of it, which is why we can't admit we're aware of it.
1: Right. So what she came up with from this study was that the self-esteem of black people became low due to the behavior of others, which conveyed a negative image onto themselves. While at the same time, the black person often had to repress their hostilities, that they felt coming from their social, like they couldn't react to the hostilities happening to them. Yeah. And this became a really vicious cycle of aggression, aggressive and negligent behavior taken out on some individuals of color um, who would then like internalize these negative qualities of this stereotype, which then would reinforce the hostile feelings because they'd start acting out in that way. Oh my God.
0: Just how all of this stuff feeds into itself and perpetuates itself is really, it's fascinating. It's also truly horrifying. Right. Because it, it's its almost like perpetual emotion. Like you put this hatred in there. You create this system right. centered around hatred and inequality. And the system just continues to perpetuate that hatred and inequality.
1: Right. So basically... She also observed that the establishment of this supposedly harmonious relationship that people were talking about between the whites, the mixed race and the blacks largely depended on the repression of the white people's feelings toward minority groups, which then made the whites feel like self-entitled in their preference choices and rejection. On the other hand, the other races were basically ambivalent to the white people. Like, I mean, yeah, there were some hostile feelings, but mostly it was just kind of like, yeah, and they're white. Mm-hmm. Like, not a big deal. But yeah, so I thought that was kind of cool. So her participation in this UNESCO project contributed to the production of a set of data and systematic analysis of prejudice and racial discrimination in Brazil, which a lot of people didn't agree with. <laughs> but cause it, it questioned the traditional views that co- conceived the existence of racial harmony and interpreted color prejudice. Um, and basically like all of this stuff and yeah, a ton of people didn't agree with her, including like her former professors and like, so she got really called out. Um, and this kind of ended her research with her cycle of like racism in Brazil. Um, um, So as she continued to deepen her studies in psychoanalysis, she became the first psychoanalyst in Brazil who was not also a medical doctor and was quickly accused of being a charlatan and fraud. I wonder if that had anything to do with race. God damn it. Um, indignant and angry with the treatment she received, she left. And she went to where everyone goes. Europe. I was going to say France. <laughs> no, she went to London. Okay. Okay. Um. So this was in 1955. So she went to London and she made contact and studied with some of the most important analysts of her time, such as Melanie Klein uh, and Anna Freud, as well as many others that people probably won't recognize. (laughs) But from London and in order to publicize psychoanalysis, she would actually like transmit different lectures via the BBC back to Brazil, like Mm -hmm. to keep psychoanalyst or psychoanalysis alive in her country. She would attend courses on the at the Institute of Psychoanalysis of the British Society, and would special specialize in child psychoanalysis. Because remember, she was like, "I'm in yeah. pain. I was in pain growing up, like, and I wanted to understand." Well, and she it. was also
0: studying the impact of you know growing up in difficult conditions and how they had what that had on children.
1: Right. She would eventually return to Brazil four years later, and like her studies and these um, talks that she would transmit and teach as well. She had sufficient renown is how they they worded it to continue her clinical activities in Sao Paulo now. And she would actually go on to treat um, the Sao Paulo elites, such as senators and stuff like that. So basically like she went away and then she came back and people kind of accepted her. Mm hmm. She went on to develop uh, one of Excelsior Radio's most popular programs in Brazil. It was called Our Mental World, in which she would comment on and act out cases that were mailed into her, so like site case, which I think is super cool. Uh, she wrote a book and a bunch of others, and she was in the newspaper a bunch. She actually became quite wealthy as a psychoanalyst and one of the first women to drive her own cars on the roads of Sao Paulo in the Damn 1950s. straight she was. She would also uh, acquire property um, And then that's really all we know. I mean, like, after she came back to Brazil and became popular, like, there's weirdly not a lot on her life until later. I was um, going to say the second that people actually start recognizing her, they're like, now we don't have to write anything down. <laughs> because according to her, one of her biographers named, I'm going to butcher this name, or sorry. I'm probably going to mispronounce this name. Janania? Je- 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 Janina, Janine. Janina. No, it's like Janaina. <laughs> um, she's one of the biographers. Apparently, uh, Virginia would die of the Black Death. Oh my um, God, what? In 2003. At the what? Age, at the age of 93, forgotten, mad, and abandoned in an institution for the mentally ill. So there's like this huge gap from her being like a wealthy psychoanalyst to her dying in an insane asylum. Alone of the plague. Yep okay yep and i'm like the i feel like there's a
0: huge gap here (laughs) something happened also who gets the plague in 2003
1: 2003 i i know 93 years obviously i
0: understand it's still out there and you can get it but that's insane that that that's
1: ridiculous yeah I was, like, I was like, there should be more about this. Nope. Couldn't fucking find anything. So I think it's interesting that there's this huge gap
0: in her life. Like she gets successful and then, oh, BT Dub, She dies penniless alone in a mental facility of the black death. Yep. Um, I was, so I missed what her full name was. So I was trying to Google her to find a picture and I was Googling all these search terms. I could remember her first name, but I'm like, uh, historic woman psychologist, Virginia, black woman psychologist, Virginia. Like I, uh, I even googled like Otto Kleinberg and Virginia, and I couldn't find That's super interesting. I couldn't find shit on her until I finally googled historic Brazilian psychologist Virginia.
1: <laughs> Sorry, I shouldn't laugh.
0: I was googling for like twenty minutes, and I couldn't find shit on her yeah. until I am like. We still
1: do not know anything about her, do we? No! Like, she just died! Like, it's, I, like, went in, like, tried to search, like, specifically about her, like, death, and I couldn't Friggin' find anything. I even
0: found some listicles of like um, uh, important black figures in the field of psychology, and she was not on any of them. <laughs> like, whoa, we need to. Uh... It's because
1: she's considered a sociologist. Oh, because that's technically what her degree was. Okay, in, even though she was a psychoanalyst, that may have
0: been partially my fault. Um, but Google gave me nothing. I could well, Google. Is- old computer lady i'm gonna get ada lovelace instantly
1: ada lovelace grace hopper and um margaret hamilton oh my god okay i'm googling old computer lady right now
0: old computer lady and search Oh, wait, I shouldn't have done the image search.
1: It's a bunch of old ladies squinting on computer
0: screens. (laughs) Oh, my God. that's
1: literally, like, even when you don't computer search that's, like, what it is, is all, like, the old lady computer memes. Okay,
0: apparently, yeah, apparently this is a meme. Um, Hold on, I'm going to add
1: historic. There you go. So... So she was a health throughout her life. She was a health ed- educator, a psychiatric visitor, a social scientist, a university professor, a psychoanalyst, a scientific popularizer, and a whole bunch of other stuff. By the way, Ada Lovelace
0: is either named or pictured in the first like five nice. Google results of um.
1: that. And so this was a very diverse world that Virginia would explore. Her thesis was so. This here's the sad thing. She wrote this like. Brilliant thesis. It was the first one to challenge race in Brazil, and it was just fucking lost, probably because people were really mad about it. It was finally recovered and republished in 2010, exactly 100 years after she was born. Oh, my God. So basically, Virginia was right about racism and probably sexism when she wrote her thesis and essentially got silenced for it after her death by colleagues who didn't agree with her.
0: So because they're so aware of racism that they don't want to admit it's there so right. they're burying it. So that
1: biographer that I mentioned um Janaina um tells us how she like when she goes into cuz she did a thesis on Virginia and she talks about how she found her thesis which was the first about the issue of race in Brazil in a damp and moldy archives in the department of Soci- sociology and political sciences at the university of Sao Paulo. So like it was just like rotting in some basement. Can you imagine? Also, this
0: is why I throw nothing away.
1: Um, <laughs> but yeah, like, so I, I found her cause of a Google doodle. And what makes me a little bit sad is like when you search her name, like ninety percent of the results are like, who is this Google Doodle? Yes, and then it's just the same regurgitated wiki entry, basically. So I had to do it a lot. I had to do a decent amount of digging, but I but still she does wasn't have a
0: biography. Like I
1: still wasn't able to. Well, it's not really a biography. It's like a thesis paper on her. Oh, life. It's okay. A, it's an interesting thing. Um, her uh, her paper though, Virginia's paper. Is now publicly available on the internet if you really want to go read it. That's awesome. Just please use her full name because if you try
0: oddly specific but not quite specific enough search terms, you will not find her.
1: <laughs> uh so it's Virginia Leone Bacudo. It'll her name a will bra- be in the episode a description. A Brazilian psychoanalyst.
0: Her name will also be in the episode description.
1: But yeah. I just I was so mad. I was like, "How do people like? How do you go from talking about how that this person was like a rich psychoanalyst and then she just died?" He, okay,
0: this is this is the Catholic upbringing in me. But you know that old quote: the the devil's greatest trick was getting people to believe he didn't exist. Mm-hmm. That's this head in the sand shit with racism, particularly systemic racism and how it still affects us. Yeah. And how it is still not only not not only affects us in a like, oh, we're still feeling the aftershocks, how it's still actively present in our world. And people just will not believe it. And she is doing scientific studies on this over 100 years ago. Okay, not over 100 years ago, almost 100 years ago. And people buried it then. Yeah. And it wasn't, It it's frustrating because it feels like a conversation that we keep having to have. It feels like something that we keep having to prove. And it's like, no, it's real. Now, what are we going to do about it? And we're, there's all this time and energy wasted in just trying to get people to believe this is a thing. It is hurting people. And it's hurting you too, whether or not right. you want to believe it. It's hurting all of us. And the more time that you spend denying it,
1: the, the worse it's going to get. Right. We, we can't start to fix the problem until people, all people... Yeah. Acknowledge there is a problem because people on one side of the problem are like, no, there's a fucking problem. But until both sides are like, yeah, there's a problem. We can't fix it. Yeah. Because until both sides acknowledge it, it's just one side pushing against the other. And the other is like, why are you being so hostile? And it's like, because you're a fucking idiot. It's because
0: my life is hostility because the system is set up to be hostile towards me. Exactly. And I don't want to I don't want to get into like a huge, you know, um. Like a victimization of black people, of people of color, because obviously the BIPOC community is so much more than that. It is. You know? It's not, it's not it's not just a group of victims. It's beautiful, wonderful people who are succeeding, who are doing amazing things, who are thriving. And those stories are also incredibly important. The reason we're harping on this so much is because she literally was studying the, right. vi- the systemic victimization of people, so. Uh. Yep. Can we get back to Judith beheading people? Because that was a lot of fun. Sorry. You had to bring in racism and Nazis.
1: I'm sorry. You know
0: what, though? It's a bummer because it's frustrating, but that's why it's so important to talk about. It's The hard stuff is usually the most important to talk about, so thank you. And for giving Virginia some much-needed love. Let's all search her name and correct the Google algorithm. (laughs) Yeah. So, Kelly, my darling, my dearest, what are you thankful for?
1: Uh, This is going to sound real dumb, but it was one of those little joys in my life. I'm thankful that Snapple has started putting Snapple facts on their plastic bottles because it used to only be on their glass. Emily's laughing at me. No, um, I did. Okay, I didn't know they only, didn't put them on the plastic. It used to only be in the, on the glass bottles, and they're like, yeah, metal pop tops. Nope, they're on the they're on the, the the plastic bottles now. So my Snapple fact is, it is not possible to tickle yourself.
0: Yep, because the okay. You can physically tickle yourself, but the reaction that you get from a stranger tickling you, you can't impose on yourself because exactly. the reaction is because it's, even if it's someone you trust, it's a defensive, it's a defensive, it's it's a defensive it's, mechanism. It's a
1: fear response.
0: Okay. It is a
1: defensive mechanism, but, but it like, is triggered by a fear response. I'm like, really, Kelly? Did you know that's why, <laughs> talking about fear responses. Um that's why people in haunted houses jump out and scream in your face because your fear response is to try to seem bigger and more intimidating. So your fear response is to scream back at them.
0: Did I ever tell you I went to a,
1: That's why uh, I don't go to haunted houses. I went to
0: a haunted farm thing once and uh, yeah, this this girl like approached me and she was screaming in my face and so I started screaming back, but I didn't run. And so she's getting closer and closer to my face. And I just started bending backwards. Scream, we're screaming at each other. And thank God Tierney was with me because she sees this happening. And I'm like practically at 90 degrees and we're screaming at each other. And she just pulls me out of there. She's like, Emily, what the fuck are you doing? I'm like, I don't know. I was nervous. Right. I just screamed and
1: bent. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's a fear response. That's cool. So I'm thankful for something real dumb. It's not dumb. It's
0: sometimes it's the little things, exactly. And you know what? It's not even that little. That's fun. I haven't had a Snapple in a million years. I didn't know that they weren't putting facts on the plastic.
1: Yeah, bottles. Nope, they don't, or they didn't for a while. That's awesome. So what are you thankful for? Well, now, now I kind of want to go get some Snapple. <laughs>
0: Oh, so God. Okay, this, I'm not going to call it dumb. This may seem kind of mundane. I am really thankful because my friend and friend of the podcast, what's up, Jory? Um, she just got done with a big painting project. Like, I'm talking painting fucking ceilings in her house. Ridiculous shit. And I have been putting off some painting projects in my house. And I just, I was like, Damn if Jory can fucking do this, I can paint my empty guest room. So I've been working on that. I also was working on painting some cabinet doors and like getting really into that. And it was just one of those things where it's like seeing one of my friends succeed and do the damn thing inspired me to do the damn thing. And I'm, I'm thankful to be surrounded by people who inspire me by just being their badass selves And I am really thankful that my paint has not expired yet. (laughs) The paint that I bought when I first moved in and used on my baseboards that I am now using to continue to paint my baseboards.
1: Yay. Yay projects.
0: No, I mean, it's just kind of like, I don't know, suddenly like the motivation hit me. I was like, man, this isn't anything compared to what Jory had to do. I can do this. Let's fucking get it done. Get her done. (laughs) I <laughs> don't know what's happening anymore. All right. Well, on that chaotic yeah, note, that thank you weird. so much for listening to another episode of Whining About Herstory. Like us on Facebook at Whining About Herstory, Instagram at WAHPAD.
1: Twitter at WAH underscore Our website is whiningaboutherstory.com where you can find links to our merch, all the places you can listen to us, a form to contact us, a whole bunch of stuff.
0: Yeah, do the damn thing. Also, raise five stars wherever you listen. You know what? Santa's watching. He knows if you're being naughty or nice.
1: So be nice and rate us five stars. Always.
0: All right. Well, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Whiny About Street. I'm Emily. I'm Kelly. Have an empowered day. Bye.